and welcome everyone to part three of the Anderson Countdown. I'm your host Scott Shelton and this week we're talking about Wes Anderson's third and final co-writing endeavor with early muse Owen Wilson. That is the family comedy drama The Royal Tenenbaums. Before we get to that however with me as always I have my Countdown co-hosts Scott Harvey and Jay Habib. Jay you first how are you doing? I'm good Scott you know it was an afternoon of fighting some of Thanos's henchmen with you which was it's a, true. a fun time and you know when I, a nice walk back uh to central park the weather's finally starting to get nice um oh and now i get to chat with the two of you uh quality day scott i'm so curious what do you think it means that we were fighting some of Thanos's minions i hope that it means you were playing a video game or, or a board game of some sort um you got there the knowing you yeah, knowing you <laughs> yeah we cosplayed knowing in the park. scott it was probably a board game uh, i don't want to think about it any deeper than that if it was something different than that yeah but, scott yeah, i have some bad uh, news for you we larped um and we went to space into to nowhere probably a place you that know you what you do you. you it's your <laughs> apartment you do you but um yeah no happy to be here uh I spent the afternoon at a food truck festival, which was fun, except it was very hot. So I didn't eat as much as I wanted to because it just like the heat takes a toll on you and it's all like heavy food and everything, but still had some good stuff. What were the highlights? Uh, it was cool. You got to share what the highlights were. Had some empanadas that were very good. Oh, um, some gyoza, like the Japanese dumplings um, and then ice cream sandwich that was also very solid. What was the ice cream? Was it just vanilla? It was a coconut and strawberry, and, and it was between. It was a. It was like a cookie sandwich. So there was like a mm. white chocolate, macadamia nut cookies. Oh man, yeah. it was. It was. That good. is a. That is a dense, good. a dense ice cream sandwich. That's a lot. It was. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds awesome though. That's lit. Yeah, it was fire. What did you What did you want to eat but didn't eat? I'm. This is. A, I'm in a podcast about Scott Harvey's food truck experiences Cra- now. Crab cakes. I waited in line for, but I was like. There was an insane number of people there. You had to wait like 30 minutes just to get anything. And then also, sorry, food truck, crab cakes. I might draw the line somewhere. No, I I think these would have been legit. But I was standing in line for a while, but it was like in the direct sunlight. And that was the point Mm -hmm. where like it started just like all of a sudden I just felt like I don't think I want to eat anything right now. And so I ended up getting out of line. It was fine um, eventually. But yeah, that was not my best moment. Need some chilled noodles from Momofuku Noodle Bar. Cool, yeah. No, I think that would have messed Thank me you. up. Eating yeah. those and then in the heat. Oh goodness. I mean, you take what you can get, I guess. But yeah, no, that's that's good. Uh, there is. I'm going to Miami in a few days, and there's some like solid food trucks scattered throughout Miami. I found one last year when I was there one time near this like. I guess it's like a plant shop, like. It's like an out. It's like a green, like a greenhouse garden kind of thing that you can go and buy plants at. Huge, but there's this Uruguayan food truck that just had like the dankest, like sandwich. It's like this, like it, it, it's not a Cuban, but it's like very similar in terms of the type of sandwich that it mm-hmm. is. But delicious, just randomly. It's not even like a popular like corner area that it's in. It's actually kind of removed from the popular area. It was very strange that it was there, but very very good. Jay, any food yeah, truck experiences you want to share recently? I mean, I was in L.A. last month. I could go on and on. I mean, please. Um, what was your What was your favorite food truck experience while in L.A.? I mean, th- there's this one in Westwood right next to Diddy Reese's Cookie Shop. So it's just like the perfect, like, go get six tacos for like $15 and then wow, go get like 50 cent cookies. Like they're still like 50 cents or something. It's something ridiculously cheap. I had two tacos this morning for brunch um, and some chips for $14. So I was going to say, yeah, no, like New York does not compare I was um, going to say, y'all live in such a ridiculous market. Well, it's not like L.A. isn't also like an... Exp- like no, a- no, no, but you, I, you I, can yeah, still I, get I, tacos I for cheap in L.A. Like, yeah. you know, and they'll taste much better. Yeah. Yeah, it was like... Um, not, obviously, this is not like an expensive city to live in, but I, I was talking to someone from college about when they went home, they would go get at this like store a dozen tamales for right. like five dollars i'm just like what the hell is this this is my literal dream um yeah. so moral stories we should leave new york i guess jay we should move somewhere else um you got anywhere in mind i, I mean we can talk after the podcast i think at some point maybe we should start with you if, if you want to come to carnersville 
I mean, the food wasn't bad when I was there. I mean, I'll, I'll fess up and admit the food was not bad uh, when I was yeah, there. It was quite good. True. But I, I think at some point, this is our this is our most off topic, uh, most time we spent off topic on one of these pods in a while. I feel like we, we sometimes stretch into these weird tangents on some like it's got, but it rarely happens on this podcast. Uh, usually because I'm not the one running it, to be fair. The last couple of ones have been Scott, and he's much more to the point than I am. But let's talk about what we came here to do today, and that is to review the family comedy drama The Royal Tenenbaums, featuring an ensemble cast of Gene Hackman as estranged family patriarch Royal Tenenbaum, Angelica Houston as his uh, separated wife, Ethelene, Ben Stiller as Royal's eldest son, Chas, whose wife recently passed away, Luke Wilson as Royal's younger and more favored son, Richie, who recently gave up his pro tennis career after a mental breakdown on court that may or may not be related to a secretly harbored crush on his adopted sister, Margot, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who herself is unhappily married and depressed. Whew. The cast doesn't stop there, though, as three more men are worth noting. Co-writer Owen Wilson also features as Richie's confidant and childhood friend, Eli Cash. Bill Murray joins the fun as Raleigh St. Clair, who is Margot's husband. And finally, Danny Glover, who plays Henry Sherman, the Tenenbaum's accountant and Ethelene's late-in-life love interest. The Royal Tenenbaum's is a film that seems most interested in just letting things play out. There are several inciting events at the beginning of the film that bring the whole family back under the same roof. And from there, hijinks ensues as Royal tries to win back his the long-lost affection of Ethelene and connect with his grandchildren for the first time. Chas tries to pr process the loss of his wife, still affecting him a year after the events. And Richie tries to come to terms with his feelings and affection for Margot, who herself is trying to navigate her extramarital affair with Eli and deteriorating relationship with Raleigh. And with that, Jay, we'll stick with you as first. As usual, what did you make of this film of contrast where Wes brings a lot of whimsy and humor to some at times incredibly serious subject matter? Did you appreciate the tenor of the film, the characters and the performances? Or did the odd mix of tone ultimately leave you as depressed as Margot smoking a pack a day in the bathtub? You know, on the note of like smoking a pack a day in the bathtub, I cannot believe that that was a secret for as long as it was. Like easily the biggest plot hole in like anything I've ever seen ever. Is because... it? I, I feel like Raleigh is a very self-obsessed person who really only cares about Dudley, who's this kid he's studying. Like I, I feel like it, it kind of undersells it, but I get but the like, sense that no he's like also a terrible husband. No one else has husband. picked up on it. Her coat doesn't. She her, had, like fur coat doesn't smell. She had like... a great system. She had like the little it's fan true. there. Oh like, come yeah, she on! She spritzed the perfume. He's probably wondering why she's buying so much perfume. But like besides that, I'm just kidding. Nah, that was easily the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Man, that don't look being... for plot holes in in Wes Anderson's vibes movie. Man, come on, get out of here. Well, so that being said, I actually had a really good time with this one. Um, and just like minor spoiler, I think like. Overall, this is probably the best of the three. Um, while Rushmore definitely had some like really great highs, um, you know, we talked last week about how like that second act just kind of like felt like it grinded me to a halt. This one felt like overall just like wire to wire. I was much more into it. Um, I wonder if I'm like starting to pick up on Wes Anderson's style a little bit between things like montages and certain like hard cuts and certain like really long cuts and like you know, lots of like style and just like bravado over certain things and you know like i and you, you guys tell me if i'm like picking up on this right or wrong but that's kind of what i feel like i'm noticing and like i really like this one um i like for one thing just to like dive a little bit into some of the cast like i mean i was excited yeah. to see the wilsons back again um you know, Bill Murray, despite some like rather unsavory things that came out about him in the news this week, like was like, oh, okay, he's back. And then uh, he'll be back I'm not, frequently. Like, hmm? I mean, it's worth saying, right? Like we're going through the series of movies where Bill Murray features in nearly every single one of them. Um, and yeah, there's very bad stuff came out about him this in week, fact, it seems like. In fact, he is the star of the next film that we will be talking about. Oh, it's good. true. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, he's a major character in, I think, you know, five, six other of the West movies that we're going to cover to still, I, I, I could be miscounting there, but yeah, I mean the stuff about him on the set of Aziz Ansari's movie last week being um, the film being shut down because of an investigation into his inappropriate behavior. Like obviously really not really not good news about him, but that's going to be unfortunately in the background, I think of most of the series, which we can talk about or not talk about. 
Um, sure. I mean, I, I'm, I was more just like pointing it out as an aside. Um, it's worth noting, though. I mean, I mean, obviously, this is coming out months later, so we'll probably know more about that investigation sure. by then. But um, yeah, it's where it's hard not to call it out since it is relevant. True, but I mean, so you know, again, was like reasonably pleased with who was coming back uh, for this one. I'm not like the biggest Gwyneth Paltrow fan, but I actually really liked her uh, in this one too. So yeah, like I, I thought the movie was like visually very pleasing. I liked the cast. I felt engaged like end to end the tone was like a little bit weird um <laughs> but like again it's just like it, it like worked um yeah i mean Gwyn- gwyneth hasn't been goopified yet so she's got like a few years left under the belt before she goes crazy your words um yeah all, all in all like pretty pleased with this one um and i feel like i'd heard like somewhat mixed things about it like some people either have it like towards the top or towards the bottom of their list like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to avoid this stuff as much as possible, but you know, I'm so curious who that. I mean, maybe we can talk after the podcast about who who it is that was telling you that. Because uh, let's probably go to Scott me. next. Who has? What'd you say? I said probably me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, maybe. I mean, well, we can, you can fess up to that in a second if you want to. But yeah, d- j- do you think Jay's on the right track for Wes's style? I mean, he, he says the the tone felt a bit weird. I think that's the most recognizable thing about Wes. Um, for me, having only seen his, you know, the latter half of his filmography, I think that like this is the first film that like really you see his tone for the first the tone of his later films for the first time. Um, but Scott, is he on the right track? What did you think of this film? Is it bottom of your list? Are you are you a Tenenbaum hater? I think Jay's on the right track. I mean, I think, you know, that very dry humor amidst often very melancholic circumstances, um, I think defines a lot of his movies and we'll definitely see that recurring and then of course yeah the visual style his attention to detail his focus on like little minuscule items and you know a table or something like that with stuff strewn on it like we start to see some of that and i can't remember if there were chapter titles or not of this movie but that's also yeah okay i thought well i think there were chapters i don't know if there were chapter titles but yeah yeah, it was literally divided in chapter one chapter two chapter three chapter four i thought so but yeah another west thing there um you'll often see his movies segmented out like that um so i I, yeah i mean i i think it's we're very i mean you know we started off with bottle rocket which was not really um didn't feel like his style at all we got closer with Rushmore I think we're pretty much there now and we're not really going to be turning back with any of the the movies that we're going to be talking about I mean I haven't seen the Darjeeling Limited but um I don't think that it's a radical departure or anything from what I understand but as far as the movie goes uh, yeah I mean I say that about if anyone had it at the bottom of their list it might have been me because you know, I felt this kind of felt similar to to this as I did about Rushmore. We talked about last week that this one has always been in the lower tier for me, um, despite the fact that this is considered. I mean, in in my opinion, at least, and what I've you know seen and experienced, this is kind of his most beloved movie outside of maybe the Grand Budapest Hotel, um, by just a con, you know conventional audience. Um, so I was definitely like in a little bit in the minority, I think, of having it towards the bottom. But I was, of course, interested to see what I have as big of a 180 as I did with Rushmore, um, like we talked about last time. And I my opinion did of the film did go up, but um, it's still below Rushmore for me. It is still below most of the Wes Anderson movies that I've seen. Um, I do enjoy it. I see what people get out of it. Um, however, I think this is an ensemble movie where it, it falls prey to a lot of the problems that ensemble movies can have sometimes, which is certain things are more interesting and more well-developed than others. Certain characters are, certain relationships are. Um, and there are times when I'm very invested in what's going on, and there's other times when I'm like, okay, I want to skip back to when Gene Hackman is on the screen. Because for me, his performance is far and away the best thing about this movie um and is you know maybe an all-time great performance in my book um i think he's absolutely incredible as this character of royal tenenbaum um that really plays to his strengths i mean you know i you don't necessarily think of him as being somebody who fits wes anderson's style but um this character really calls on his ability to be sort of menacing in a way um but also to have a you know a heart about him and still have that charisma that makes you um 
you know, draw, that draws you to the character, even when you can't necessarily explain why. Um, it's something that he's been good at doing throughout his entire career. Um, I, I mean, I personally just think in general, he's one of the, the best actors of all time, probably. Um, and this could very well be his, you know, crowning achievement. I, that was the thing that stood out to me most on rewatching this is his performance is so good. And I think because it's so good, whenever he's not on screen, the proceedings do somewhat, you know, take a little bit of a dip for me. I'm not super invested in the relationship between Margot and Richie. Um, I just, you know, didn't those characters never, never really drew me into their romance. Like I wasn't really rooting for it or anything like that. I do think Ben Stiller is quite good as well as Chaz, um, you know, very sort of pathetic character. He gets some um, nice emotional moments um, in the movie. And yeah, I mean, again, kind of like Rushmore, this movie has a really, like it really wears its heart on his sleeve in the third act, um, which I don't know. Maybe we're not going to see that going forward. Well, I personally think we that all all of the West movies like have that heart to them. Um, but a lot of people would disagree. Um, and it's one of the it's a crit criticism of his films that I have never understood that they're, you know, just all rigid formal exercises. But I've never agreed with that. I think that's it's so crazy because I feel like so many of his films so seem so sentimental. I know. In my mind. I know, but it is one of the most, you know, common critiques of his his films. But I can't imagine anyone making it about this movie unless they just haven't seen it. Because, um, yeah, that that third act really, you know, it, it's it's very sentimental. It, it uh, it's warm. Uh, just what ends up happening with all the characters is uh, it, you know, takes a positive turn there in that last act for the most part. So, um, yeah, I, I I enjoy the movie. I definitely do. I you know understand if somebody thinks it's one of their you know if somebody has it as one of their best favorite Wes Anderson movies um but for me it's just like a little bit inconsistent I guess from moment to moment from scene to scene from character to character um for me to for it to really reach that upper echelon for me but it's a good film yeah I, I'm kind of closer in the boat with Jay here I, I think I really enjoyed this one probably more than Rushmore or <clears throat> bottle rocket and i think to me it was because like i was sort of alluding to before you started sharing your thoughts scott this feels the most familiar to me in terms of the west films that i have experience with the west films that i like the most um i i felt like tonally it was much closer to something like moonrise kingdom or grand budapest hotel which are the ones i'm probably most familiar with although i've seen you know isle of dogs and the French, uh, I was about to say, yeah, the French Dispatch. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's the name of that yes. movie. Um, I, was, I, was, I was about to say the French Connection, which is a Gene, another Gene Hackman movie. Gene Hackman film, yeah. I think he won the he won the Academy Award for that. I think speaking of crowning performances, um, I think he won yes. Best Actor for that, and it won Best Picture. Yeah. So anyway, the French Dispatch. I'm, you know, I, I just think tonally this is a lot more in sync with those things, and I think what I've come to love about Wes is some of the, some of the, the stylistic elements that I think both of you are listing off, which is the sort of the weird, you know, dry humor mixed with sentimentality mixed with very serious subject, like themes, very, very serious thematic material. I, I just think there's so few filmmakers and I don't want to say he's the only one just off the top of my head, but he's, he, it's such a rare breed of filmmaker who's able to feel like he's taking all of his subject matter very seriously, but not always being serious about it. And I think that's something that the Royal Tenenbaums does really well, where you, you know, there's, there's some really graphic stuff in this film. I mean, there's someone who, who commits self-harm at, at a certain point in the film pretty seriously. There's someone like, there's pretty much someone talking about like not caring whether or not they end up killing themselves by electrocuting themselves in a bathtub. Like, but it, it doesn't feel like it's being glib, like overly glib about it. I mean, it's being glib to the extent the character is being glib about it. But I think that the the sort of way the characters are speaking about it and the way that Wes is presenting it is something that I still find quite emotionally resonant and affecting um, in the moments where it's trying to be affecting. And I, and I think that that's really a unique trait of the Anderson movies that, that I like the most. Um, and so I, I think that this film won me over pretty quickly in that respect, because I think it, it sort of dives headfirst in. And I, and I think for all the jokes that I made about, I kind of wish Rushmore was like a hangout movie where, you know, the character, you just get to hang out with this character in high school. 
you know, these these characters are in high school, but this film is ultimately like a hangout movie in Tenenbaum house. And they're just like letting it ride and see what happens. Um, sometimes they're up to no good. Sometimes, you know, like in that third act, there's, you know, it's very earnest, I think. And overall, yeah, that just won me over a lot. And I kind of liked that. We just sort of saw where these characters went. Like it felt like when, when Wes was making it, I have no idea, you know, what the writing process between him and Owen Wilson's like, but it just kind of felt like, what if we had all these characters come together and just like, let's just write with no end point. Like the end point being that like, you know, maybe these people get back together. Maybe they don't, but they, they just sort of seemed like they wrote the characters and, and kind of just felt like, you know, what happens here? I didn't feel like they had necessarily the end state specifically in mind. And I kind of enjoyed it. And, you know, that might not be true, but it felt that way. And I think that's a, that's a, a sort of a big accomplishment in my mind for the film. The performances are really solid. I, I agree that Hackman is just like kind of just un, unbelievably good in this role. And I was, I saw another film of his earlier this year for the first time called the conversation where I thought he was incredible uh, as well. And so I, I feel like I'm being won over by some of, by some of his earlier in life work. Although it, I mean, it's not like he was early in life in this film. He was like already 70 or whatever. Um, One of but, his last films. In fact, was he it retired what? just three years later. So. Right. Was Enemy of the State? I guess that was before this, wasn't it? No, was Enemy, that... Enemy of the State was in 98. Yeah. And this was 2001? When was this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's fantastic in this. I, I think, honestly, across the board, I thought the cast was really solid. Um, I'm one of the reasons why I, I didn't necessarily have the same issue as Scott was talking about with the cast is that, you know, as much as maybe Hackman and Royal ends up being maybe the, the character with the most going on every time it, it sort of switched angles to a different character. Yes. Maybe I wasn't like, Oh, I really want to go back to see what Richie is up to, or I want to go back and see what Margo is up to. But when it clicks back over to it, you're like, Oh yeah, this is, this character has this going on. Like I'm, I'm down to see what happens next here as well. So I wasn't like always just sort of like thinking about, Oh, I want to get back to Royal. Oh, I want to get back to Ethelene. Like, that wasn't the case. I, I do think some characters get better, quote, quote unquote, better treatment than others um, in terms of more extensive analysis, if you will, for the lack of a better word. But overall, I never was really disappointed when we were going to to check in on the different characters in different parts of the house and doing different stuff. And yeah, for that reason, I just really I really love this film. It's been my favorite so far of the of the countdown. And I'm curious to see how it stacks up against, you know, the, the five West movies that I have seen before. Um, or four or whatever the number is. So looking forward to that. Why don't we dive a little bit deeper? I just sort of gave some of my thoughts about Gene Hackman. Scott, you've done so as well. Jay, what did you think of the sort of the, the patriarchal role? I mean, you could say the titular role, I suppose, because Royal is his name. But what did you think of, of Gene Hackman as Royal Tenenbaum? Yeah, I mean, A-plus performance. I don't think I could have said it better myself. Um, I... Yeah, I think I've only ever seen him. Uh, I was going through his credits while you guys were talking. Um, I think in his role as Lex Luthor in Superman, but I think that's it. Um, a really stellar job, I feel like, just, you know, really like just making this absurd character super believable. Um, him just like, you know, I like picture him sitting in his like bed, like pouting about, you know, his wife potentially getting remarried, like eating cheeseburgers while pretending to have cancer, like spoiler alert. Um, and just like specifically having stomach cancer, stomach, think, right? specifically yeah. having stomach cancer, yeah. um, and just you know looking all like pouty and just chomping away at his cheeseburgers, and I'm just like, this is insane. Um, or that scene where he's telling Ethelene, you know, like I'm dying, and then I'm not really dying. <laughs> no, no, I'm dying. Like, are you yeah. dying? Like, it's just, I don't know. I like. It's and that when he just like, at the end where he just walks into the closet, gets dressed and leaves, like he just when they actually confront him about it, he's just like, OK, and he walks into the closet yep, and then, like, like games up. I yeah. lost. Yep. Till next time. Like, OK. Um, yeah. Again, just another like completely absurd moment. Um, yeah. Reminds me of the ones from Rushmore where I'm like, I can't really see a lot of people like pulling this off well. Um, but like it felt like he really did. Yeah. Um, Again, like, while kind of making me, like, feel, you know, bad for him and, like, want things to, like, go off or even though I'm just like, you're so horrible, um, at least, you know, in the earlier parts of the movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. He does I, have I, a change I, of heart. I mean, you get to see the sort of character transformation in the final act, I'd say. I mean, did, was that believable for you? Was that well done? What did you think of the sort of evolution of the character? Yeah, I mean, like, 
I, I think for the most part it was earned. Um, there was like the very like I forget the name of his uh, assistant or like his pagoda. Uh, yeah, who like stabbed him afterwards, oh, yeah, that was and then so just funny. like immediately gonna, got over so, it. Man, yeah. That was so oh sublime. Yeah, I was like, what? Uh, and you guys are good now, like. Oh, okay, <laughs> moving on. But, but yeah, but that shows you he's willing to forgive. Like, like he does have you know forgiveness in him. I was I was more referring to the. I'm sorry, I forgot his name again already. Pagoda. Um, yeah, how he was like, was already like he stabbed him. He was like, he's like patching him up. I'm like, shouldn't you still be mad at him? Like, yeah, that um, too. Yeah, I don't know, but it's I. Very, it's very West humor. I feel like just having to sure. stab him at the end of this and then be fine afterwards. Like. Sure. I, I mean, again, so I was silly. here for it. Um, and yeah, like I felt like the character transformation was more or less uh, earned. Certainly, you know, the, the I guess to jump ahead quite a bit to like the last scene, like it felt like you kind of got a glimpse of like the old him though, right? Um, with the tombstone. It, I, I'm, I'm like for some reason trying to avoid spoilers, but like we're in. No, yeah, I don't know just, why. Like, I don't know why you'd be listening yeah. to this podcast if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, the other words, epitaph, no one, no one know, listens to this podcast. So go on. Also fair. No, yeah, just the epitaph, you know, died like tragically saving his family from a sinking battleship. Like, like, yep, that yeah. same guy um, felt very spot on. Got anything you want to add about Gene Hackman or we can, you can go to one of the, one of the kids or, or An- Angelica Houston. Who do you want to, who do you want to talk about? I mean, yeah, I would just say, you know, the fact that he is so upfront about being kind of a dick just is what wins you over a little bit. I mean, you know, he has the line where he's like, um, I guess I've always been an asshole or something, but you know, I would feel terrible if I didn't think you were going to forgive me. Um, so even when he doesn't say some horrible things in the movie, you could see like, it's just kind of who he is. And also he is trying like to make things right. Um, amidst everything, he's still, doing what he can, even if it's, you know, his heart is in the wrong place or his, his head is in the wrong place, but his heart is in the right place sometimes um, with what he's trying to do. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I think his performance, like I said, is a standout, but Ben Stiller is really good. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of emotional resonance to that role. Um, You know, the line that he has at the end when he says it's been a really tough year, like, you know, he delivers that line perfectly. Um, I think that's one of the most, you know, touching part, touching moments in the movie, Um, because Chaz, he he seems to be the one who has the most strained relationship with Royal of of the children. Um, And a lot of it is just because Royal doesn't seem to really have any sympathy for the situation that um, Chaz has been through with. Um, his losing his wife um, but to see them sort of bond there in the the end over the fact that they've both they're both going through their own stuff um, is you know is a, it's a really nice moment just to see that relationship get something closer to being repaired there because you also know that Royal like he wants to be a granddad to his to you know Chaz's children um but he like just doesn't really know how to um but like the final you know montage or whatever where they're riding on the back of the they're riding on the side of the garbage truck together is was awesome uh it's you know it's it's a great reveal there when he pops up you know as like a callback to when they did it earlier in the morning in the movie with just him and the grandkids so those are probably the two standout performances for me um you know i don't think bill murray like has that much to do here um it's a definite shift from the last movie where I thought he was, you know, phenomenal. I think he's given kind of a nothing role here as Raleigh. Um, I didn't get much humor or anything out of that character. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I don't know something about Richie, like the, the tennis, like the breakdown that he has or whatever, just feels almost a little too silly for me to just like lock in with the character, you know, where he's like, on the tennis court and like just throws his racket around, takes off his shoe and sock and everything. Like, I don't know the nature of like the, his breakdown or whatever, it just seems like a little silly compared to like, you know, you have Chaz who like lost his wife and um, you have Margo who like is somewhat dealing with her own stuff about like being the adopted child and not, um, you know, not the actual biological child of these people. 
Um, you know, those are like real things. Like, I, I don't know. The, the real things seem to have brought about their plight where, as I don't know, Richie's like, you know, breakdown on the tennis court was just like a little harder for me to lock into. And then, you know, he's like in love with his adopted sister, which like, it's not, I mean, it, it, it's fine. Like, it's not, it's not really that weird of a vibe, but um they i just never got in God, are that. we gonna have a we're gonna have a philosophical argument about whether or not you it's okay to no, be in no, love no, with no. your adopted sister no 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 because i don't think the movie's really interested in having that argument but um certainly I, I just just something about both of them being very sort of understated um because i mean like i don't know gwyneth paltrow just like does not emote at all in the entire movie so some in some movies that works for me and other movies it doesn't it didn't quite really work fully work for me here so it's sorry richie kind of, or, or margo didn't work for you sorry i just got lost in the i mean margo but like their relationship be, partially because of her and partially again because of the situation with richie mm -hmm. um like you know i i like i'm rooting for ben stiller to like you know get over the death of his wife Sure. Um, I mean, is is it Margot's thing but, like depression though? Like the reason she's not a is because she's depressed. Well, yeah, isn't I'm not saying why? it doesn't make sense. I'm not saying it oh, doesn't okay. make sense for the character. Of course, I'm not saying that. But got it. It's just like it's harder for me to just connect with that type of character. We've talked about in movies before, like the emotionally withdrawn thing. Sometimes it you know works for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, not because it is bad in this movie or anything, but. I just, you know, I preferred other characters. I was more interested when other characters were on screen. I liked other performances more is ultimately what it comes down to. Unfortunate reality of some ensemble films. But um, yeah, I mean, on the whole, I think Danny Glover is pretty good as well um, as Henry. Uh, you know, th there's some good scenes between him and Royal. Um, yeah, definitely. As well, so. Yeah, the thing, the one thing about Richie, and then let's go to, let's go to Jay here. I mean, I think Richie's thing is like it's not immediately clear why he threw a tantrum on the court and like had the mental breakdown. It it's sort of like very upfront, I think, about everyone else, right? Like it's very clear from the outset that you know Margot's depressed um, because she just isn't finding like a spark of joy in her life that's really allowing her to to feel those emotions that you're talking about. Her not being able to emote. I think that it's really clear that you know, that Chaz is, is dealing with the loss of his wife, the sudden loss of his, the, the sudden and unexpected loss of his wife. But like, it's not clear why Richie, who is sort of portrayed as this like spoiled kid at the beginning of the film, whose dad always took him to like, <laughs> I don't know, the cockfights or like whatever he was taking him to on the weekends and like spoiling him. Like why this kid is like throwing a, throwing a tantrum on the court. It's like halfway through the movie when they well, tell you it's it's because Margot and Margot was there with and, her husband. And yeah. Raleigh, like who had just gotten married and were like sitting in the crowd or whatever mm -hmm. watching the match. I'm like, why didn't you lead with this information? Like otherwise you're just like, why is this kid like breaking down on the court for no reason? Well well don't they show it though like when they first show the footage of him freaking out. Isn't there like a I thought it was later like... in the movie when they showed it, but maybe not. Okay. I, I thought, thought it was later was... for what it's worth. Whatever. I'm wrong again. Sorry, you gotta you gotta get off your phone while you're watching these movies. Well, guy. So you gotta stop I, texting. Yeah, I, I want to chime in because there have been like four things I wanted to respond to, and I'm just Go, I'm jumping Jay, in now respond. before this gets longer. No, yeah, I that reveal actually really worked for me, and even though the level to which he like collapses again, like the throwing the racket, taking the shoes off, was like a well, they're making fun of John McEnroe to be fair. But, sure, sure, but like yeah. it, the fact that that reveal actually came later was like, I, I laughed really hard once I realized like what was going on, um, why like that happened. And again, it was just like a hair too absurd. Sure. But like, it's still, yeah. I still thought it was like, you know, pretty funny and that it worked. Yeah. It sounded like you wanted to respond to a lot of things, so keep go off, Jay. Oh, keep going. Well, no, sorry, I, I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to. No, I was just going to talk about Richie. And I, I wanted to be the one. I was, you, I was so. like, I'm going to stick up for this point. I mean, yeah, I'm just. I guess Scott Harvey and I are a little bit uh, not on the same wavelength on this one because I also thought it's fine. Gwen, we never are. So I wouldn't Jeez. say we never are. Um, but sure, no, Gwyneth Paltrow was like you know lack of emotion again like that or emoting like that actually like worked for me too and again i'm this is someone who i haven't liked her in a lot of things truthfully um how much have you seen besides iron man and like the avengers seven movies? um oh, yeah. what else is there there's well, like a couple of she's things. like not really there in seven right <laughs> i would argue she plays a very important but... part in that movie she's um, good in seven 
Um, I'm gonna like quickly pull up her filmography while I keep talking, but no, I mean it. Shakespeare in Love. Have you seen her Oscar-winning performance? I don't think Jay's seen Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, no, I, don't I don't think, think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever it is, I even if it is just for, like mainly from like the MCU, I'm kind of just like eh, when I see her. But I was, you know, or what's what's her like selling goop in ads? But you know, again, <laughs> like a true here, acting performance right there. Here, I was like here for it. Um, so I definitely like worked for me. Um, I did actually just to say something I agree with Scott Harvey on Ben Stiller's performance, like spot on really, really liked it. Like easily my favorite um, of the Tenenbaum children. Um, thought you did a solid job. Those red track suits like kill me. Something about that is just so weird to me. I don't really understand. I don't understand. Well, it, it, it's but so it works that you'd be spotted job. easily. Right. If you like, Oh, is that what it disaster. is? That, that was presume, how I thought yeah. of it. Yeah. Like if you're okay. in a disaster situation, you know interesting you get spotted like the most easily the only other thing i can think of when the culture that you might have seen did, have you seen contagion did you did you like the rest of the u.s watch contagion at the beginning of the pandemic i did not okay she's patient zero in contagion i'm pretty sure which is hilarious mm-hmm. uh, she's seen. the reason why there is an epidemic in contagion nice um, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. I, I enjoyed Gwyneth Paltrow. I enjoyed all. The, I mean, to varying degrees, right? Like Luke Wilson's playing like such a, such a weird character in this for me. Like, it seems like his. This is very unfair, and maybe even like speaks to maybe some like stigma or stereotypes around this sort of thing versus like the other things that we've, the other like difficulties that people are facing in this movie. But like. His idea is like, okay, like, kid, you got your, like, heartbroken. Like, grow up and get over it. it, it like, that's, like, kind of my, like, immediate response or whatever yeah. to this character. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You love your sister. All right, dude, move on. Come on. Like, come on. Come on now. Um, and that's, that's sort of my immediate response. And he's, like, obviously being incredibly dramatic about the whole thing. And clearly trusting the wrong people. <laughs> telling Eli about it. So, uh, I mean, a lot of his problem maybe is his choice in friends. But that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, you just need to find some friends who, you know, will, will write history books that aren't, you know, about real history. So, you know, maybe maybe a, a slight note there for for Richie to to get some better friends. But here we are. I was a big fan of of Danny Glover as well, Scott. I'm glad you mentioned him because I I was a big fan of of Henry Sherman. Kind of want kind of wanted that more of that character. I mean, we got maybe more than I originally expected we would, but maybe I wanted even more just because I do feel like he sort of exudes this level of warmth and love towards other people in the movie. That's just different than the flavor that I think you get from a lot of the other characters towards each other. Maybe partly because he's sort of an outside looking in type character. Like in many ways, I feel like he kind of almost is like an avatar for the, for the audience who's like not a part of this family, but is feeling closer and closer over the course of the film. Like obviously he's extremely close to Ethelene, but you know, he, he really is on the outside looking in on this, on this family for the most part. And, and we are as the audience as well. So I really enjoyed the perspective that that character brought and the fact that he's like willing to stand up to like the sort of like, I don't know, like racism ish that like Royal gives, gives him by it's It's racism. I mean, I I would, I would say it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not nice. Let's put it that way. It's, it's ugly in that one scene in the kitchen. Um, And, and I feel like it, I mean, it's, it's maybe the bare minimum, but I like that he's able to stand up for himself in that situation. So um, not only is that I think it's a it's a good character, but it's one that you're also, I think, sort of easily able to slide into as the viewer and sort of see the family through his through his perspective, because I think a lot of it is is probably similar to his viewpoint as well, which is nice. So I really enjoyed that character. And that's probably one that stood out more than some of the others for that reason. Owen Wilson's like stupidly funny as Owen Wilson normally is. Um I and Scott and I were talking about this earlier today after we recorded a different podcast, but you know, his, his whole, his whole line about like, you know, everyone knows that Custer died at, at little bighorn, but my book presupposes what if he didn't. Yeah. Uh, most famous <laughs> line in the movie probably. Yeah. It's just like such a, such a dumb line, but it's so funny. Um, just hilarious stuff to, to me. So overall really love those characters. I think it, we've talked a little bit about the characters. If there's no other characters that, or performance people want to mention. I mean, I'd love to just talk about some of the like themes of this stuff and, and some of this stuff might get kind of heavy, but like we did talk about 
the the self-harm that exists in the movie you talk about like sort of the talk of like self-harm as well around like electrocuting yourself in the bathtub things like that like uh, again when you mix it with this tone that i think wes is doing in the film and i think it's fair to say has become known for since it, it can rub people the wrong way i think it can like i was talking about at the beginning sort of be glib for me i think it really works quite well it's able to I think so much about having conversations and engaging with material that's this difficult is finding some way to like make it accessible and approachable. And I think one of those ways that can disarm people and, and, and let their guard down is is through types of humor that are tasteful in, in, a, in a way that allows people to still engage with the material. But I obviously feel pretty strongly about this. I'd love to get your guys point of view on whether you think like the mix of humor and the and the dramatic works and specifically around the specific i mean if you have comments about specific dramatic themes then then that as well but jay let's go to you first what did you think of of this sort of like heavy subject matter with you, you i mean you mentioned earlier that you thought the tone was a bit weird and maybe i don't know if that's what you were referring to or if you were thinking about something different there love you to elaborate on that yeah i mean i'll i'll speak more to the just the portrayals rather than like the tone comment. Cause I don't really think, you know, we would have to spend the rest of the time unpacking why the tone was weird. Like it was weird sure. about a lot of different things. Um, and I realize it's very nondescript, but it's okay. on the subject of like, you know, these portrayals of like self harm and whatnot, like I feel like it's such a tricky thing to do. And I'm generally not a fan of the way movies just handle it. Period. Sure. Um, That's fair. I feel like, you know, if things are well, it's often a means to an end, I feel like it's being used to do something different, right? Which is sort of like not how you want to see that sort of behavior. Portrayed. Sure. And especially if it like, you know, turns into something like fridging, like then it's just like this <laughs> sure. is horrible. Yeah, but definitely. You know, when I don't I, I think even though like it's treating this stuff with like a huge with a certain kind of humor, it's not treating it humorously, if that makes sense. Um Yeah. And like while it's again like i think about the scene with uh you know in the in the bathroom right with the the just all the blood um just trying not to get like too graphic here and like that you know was like probably a hair much for me but like still felt like it fit within the film and so like thus i didn't really have a problem with it it didn't feel like it was doing that for the sake of just making like a grand thing of this it was just like oh like this happened um and like it's it's horrible and like look at how bad it is but not like again like being showy about it which you know i feel like with with sensitive subject matter like this like it's just i feel like the way you portray it, like you know you you don't want to like there's the, like the, the really horrible end of like glorifying this kind of stuff and then you know maybe just as horrible you know like making too light of it mm -hmm. um and again, I think you have to be like respectful. For some reason, I'm thinking of like, I know this is not a funny movie at all, but I think of that one scene from uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which like I was so upset by um, and just how like poorly yeah. I felt like that handled like a very graphic and disturbing subject matter. Like this feels like the opposite of that where I'm like, you know, it. I'm not sitting here like yay for including this, more just like, okay, like I, I get it mm -hmm. and it's fine. Like, you know. If you were going to do it, then this was not a bad way to have done it. I, I think that's a fair way to characterize how I feel about it. Scott, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree too much. I mean, everybody in this movie is going through some pretty rough stuff. Um, and so I think the suicide attempt by Richie is just another example of that. Um, and I, you know, I don't think that it's played for laughs or anything. Um, in that moment, obviously, oh, you know, there, yeah. there is some, you know, it may be leading up to it and afterwards, but, um, you know, for me, it's just like, it, it doesn't make sense with, you know, the, the movie, this, what the story is trying to say. And yeah, I mean, again, we've talked about it, but you know, he's being very dramatic about this whole situation and, um, he's just learned, you know, about sort of Margot's history basically, and that she's been with other men and, was previously married and all of this stuff. And um, because, you know, he is in love with her, but also has probably some like antiquated ideals about like controlling her. Um, you know, he, he goes to this really dramatic level of, um, you know, doing something to get attention, basically, just kind of like he did with the, um, 
on the on the tennis court with his um, tantrum. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's not it's for me, it's just a question of does it make sense with what the story is trying to tell and, uh, you know, with who I believe the characters to be. And it did for me. Um, so that worked. I didn't find the tone to be anything, you know, problematic or anything, maybe just because I'm, you know, familiar with Wes's stuff. But, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was fine for me. Yeah, I think I I do think that the film handles it in a way, like I sort of said at the beginning, in a way that is able to engage the viewer more than and and not feel like it's using it to like get a reaction, right? I don't like I don't think the film is trying to get a reaction or or use it as a means to an end. Sensationalize it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's very much like I feel like it is written as part of this individual character's story, not to him to the next place he's going to be in his arc but it's like this is something that he he felt even if it is if it does feel like overly dramatic and he's being a bit immature about the whole thing and and taking it to this sort of very high octane place in in the point of self-harm it doesn't feel glib it doesn't feel like it's to get a resolution out of the character it's like this was it and then how how is this character then going to respond having survived that that moment it felt like that way for me and i think that to maybe to jay's point is not a bad way to handle the situation a couple other things thematically because i think this film is like full kind of the nature of like not having very much plot i feel like is that you ultimately explore a lot of themes and i think one of those uh probably the biggest one even is the sort of whole nature of reconciliation of specifically of royal's character in the third act although i think this extends to margo maybe as well to an extent of this individual who's been having a multitude of affairs and doesn't really seem to have this isn't able to connect emotionally with the people in her life um, and hasn't treated them very well as a maybe as a result of that or as a byproduct of that. And so but we'll, we'll start with Royal. Scott, you sort of mentioned that you found the third act really in a way touching in, in, the, in the sense of the reconciliation for Royal. Does that work for you? Is it like the fact that this person is sort of redeemed in the final act, sort of like everything post you know, his faking his illness being discovered, he really tries to like turn a new leaf and and become this person that's not entirely self-obsessed or at least not in self and not in a way that was previously recognized in the film. I'm curious if you can elaborate more on that, because you noted that as being a, something that you found at, at least uh, affecting for you. Yeah, I mean, again, I think, you know, the character he's trying throughout the whole movie. I mean, he he is, yeah. he's trying to bring everyone back together. He's trying to, you know, have what he once had or what he feels like he once had with his family when they were a lot younger, you know, and they were the talk of the town and, um, you know, the children. Everything were, was going well. Yeah. Yeah. The children were, were, were crushing it for lack of a better phrase. Before um, he blew it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he, you know, he's trying to sort of put the pieces back together. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I just, I found that to be a relatable situation, even amidst some of the stuff that he does and says here. Um, Do you think he deserves that reconciliation? Well, I think, I think ultimately, you know, in the end, everyone realizes that they are broken in their own way. Um, But, you know, they've only got one family, right? And they've got each other to, make it a little better, maybe to help them through these, um, you know, tough periods. Um, They may, you know, they may not always do or say the right thing in the moment. Again, certainly uh, Royal doesn't, but um, they, you know, they, they all care about each other because of their family. And, you know, it's just kind of that um, intangible bond that family members have. They just keep kind of drawing them back together. Um, So, I think he's as deserving of reconciliation as, you know, anyone else really, I guess, um, because, you know, he's, again, they're, they're all part of this family and they need each other to continue to function. I think, um, even if it's not never going to be the same as it once was. Jay, what did you think about, about Royals reconciliation? Is this something that worked as well for you? Or did you feel like this was a bit disconcerting that the family sort of, lets their guard down with him in this final act after everything he's done. What's what's how does it sit for you? It sits okay with me, Scott, and I'll tell you why. I feel like it I'm still trying to like find the words for it, but 
it feels like something that the whole family kind of needs. Like it's mm. not just him that needs this. Like you have, you know, uh, Margot, who again, like hasn't been doing much of anything, is very depressed, like finds herself back at home to like try to deal. And then you have uh, Chaz again, like, you know, through maybe more like superficial reasons is like back at home though, because he like needs a place to go um, while like dealing with, I guess like the symptoms of, you know, having lost his wife in this like terrible anxiety. accident. Like, yeah. I mean, he has, yeah, clearly sure. has anxiety. Sure, yeah, that's, yeah. That's exactly how you should frame it. Yeah. And the, he's back at home. Um, and, you know, Richie, uh, you know, kind of weird, like how to tie that back. I, I'm not even sure exactly why he ended up back there. I'm like drawing a blank, but why he ended up back at the house or why yeah. he, well, yeah, he had been like touring on. Oh, so he does it when he hears that his dad right. has cancer. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe a little bit less so of a need thing for him. But I think he until... definitely needs it though, right? Like it's clear he does need it. Well, like I was saying initially not, but then later on, like right. of course, uh, with all the stuff that ends up coming up about him again a little bit later on. But I think um, even the relationship with his father, right? Like you get the in those first couple minutes and like the prologue of the film, you understand like how close Royal and Richie had been. I mean, clearly Richie was his favorite son, spo- like spoiled him a lot. And, you know, I, I think you can only assume that it, as hurt as Chaz or Margot were with the way they Royal treated them, like the, the departure of Royal probably affects Richie the most, even though I'm sure it also affects the other two as well. So it's like it, it feels like one of those things that's just sort of like sitting underneath the surface of like sure. the more ostensible problems with Margot, et cetera. But sure. Well, and to like that end, like they all it feels like they all kind of needed it. Right. Like. Yeah better late than never kind of thing and so sure you know even though you kind of look back and you're like again royal isn't like a great guy and he treats like danny glover's character like really horribly and you know wasn't a great father to two of his three kids like i mean probably wasn't a great father to any of them i mean certainly probably only one of them actually felt like he was a good dad at least for part of it before the whole uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. legal thing came up but you know by the by this point it feels like they all they all kind of need it and you know if they're all in the same boat with that then like why not yeah i I think that's totally fair i I, to me it's one of those things where i couldn't really quite put my finger on why i felt like it worked because on paper it's like this guy's terrible like it's clearly he was a terrible before the film started it's he's clearly terrible while the film is going on in the first two acts and then you know he has this sort of like moment of realization this like sort of come to jesus type thing where he gets kicked out of the house he gets stabbed by pagoda which is again i know we talked about this already hilarious scene just absolutely hilarious that pagoda just shivs him in the street and then helps him into like the cab or whatever like puts his luggage in, into the car right after he stabs him or something um just hilarious stuff but th- there's something i just think about this particular person as horrible as he might be just like this the level of charm that this person has. I mean, this is, I think, to Scott's point earlier on, like the charisma that Hackman brings to this character um, and sort of Im- imbues him with is just something really, it's 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 arresting, right? Like, and, and when you see that, like, even though, again, I, I framed it the way that I did at the outset is that it's he's clearly still being selfish, but he's being a selfish in a way in the third act that's like a little bit more inclusive of the family rather than just like completely self-obsessed. Like he is being selfish because he wants to reestablish these relationships and he's just choosing to go about that in a in a way that is healthier, that is more productive, and that is less sort of like spiteful. I think is maybe a way to put it. And I think that to Scott's point, like to to see someone trying in that way and trying in a way that feels more productive, I think it's hard not to let your guard down. Now, whether it's a problem that we do that after sort of the racist behavior that we see earlier in the movie, like maybe there's some sort of like meta commentary around like, well, maybe it's a problem that you feel like it's okay that, um, but after the fact that he did these things. And I think maybe that's something that we could all wrestle with, but feels like a bigger conversation than maybe we're equipped to have on, on this podcast. I'll go on a limb. Scott's nodding furiously. So I'll take that as a yes. I mean, I'm just going to say like, you know, I'm, I don't want to give like him a platform, but I'm good with him. Like patching things up with his family. Yeah. Sure. In terms of a platform, Gene Hackman, if you're listening out there, I know you're old at this point. If, if you want to come on the podcast, you're welcome to buddy. Like just, Dropping my DMs. character Royal Tenenbaum, but like, good point. Yeah. Yes, no. If I mean, he Hackman... can come on in character as Royal if he wants to. I'd still let him on the podcast, to be clear. 
our huge platform of five people who listen to this, which is probably just oh, yeah. the four of you know the three of us and like two family members that <laughs> listen. So, um, that aside, I think the last thing before we get the wrap up, though, I did want to talk a little bit about Margot. We haven't talked that much about her character, and I think that one of the I don't want to say tricky because I think a lot of the subject matter in this movie is tricky, but I think one of the trickier things to navigate in this film is like all of this sort of like infidelity that's happening. And I think that there's, there's that is maybe just a symptom of like the broader problems that she's facing, but like the infidelity ultimately is what I think is just like a really clear effect on other people in her life. So you think about Eli, you think about Raleigh, you think about Richie, all these people. I mean, she doesn't owe these people anything per se, but it is behavior that affects it. And, and I'm just curious what you guys think of how the film wraps up that sort of subplot of it all. I think it's one of the, I mean, you could argue that maybe it doesn't do a good enough job. And I'm, I'm curious because Scott said that certain character arcs felt like a little bit less baked than others. And I'm curious if that's where he's going to go with this. But Jay, let's go to you first. You talked about how the, the sort of like emotionally withdrawn nature of the character and the depression she's going, she's going through is something that you found that you connected with and thought was done, done well. What about this particular element if we're talking about themes, this idea that like there's this higher level depression that feeds down into these sort of symptoms, one of them being a pretty destructive one. What, what did you think of that brawl? Sorry, I lost you in the question. So are you talking about in terms of like how her arc wraps up with Richie or just like how it was portrayed throughout? I think Richie, I'm, I'm thinking more thematically, just like the, the, the note of like forgiveness and reconciliation and, you know, whatever you want to describe between Richie and her at the end of the film. I think that's like a big, a big and big ambiguity in, at the end of the film, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we would need a lot of time to really unpack that because you could argue like, I mean, you talk, you framed it as like a forgiveness thing. It's like, who was forgiving who for what? Cause like, did anyone actually owe? Like, well, I think that can be a response. I mean, that can be a response to my question. No, sure. And I mean, like I, I, I will say that is one of those arcs that feels like was wrapped up a little bit, hastily not that i was expecting some like grand romantic ending for the two of them like it did just kind of feel like it you know there was a lot of tension that built up and then they had that little scene in the tent and then they're kind of just like you know you know know we're not right and then again there's just like the little i guess button at the end uh with the two of them on the roof yeah i don't know like i guess i i feel like it wrapped up a little bit quickly i i've kind of just to me it was a whole like margo was doing her own thing and you know if we i don't know through like our like stereotypical society lens like look through look at it and be like oh yes like this is bad behavior but like i don't necessarily think that like you know richie's owed anything uh because like it's not like they had i don't know any sort of like arrangement or agreement like it was more just you know richie was in love with her and like it's not really her fault for lack of a better word um but yeah i mean this all to say like i feel like the movie doesn't really wrap that up in like a neat way it's just like yeah Yeah. we like each other i mean it sort of wraps up with saying you know she exploited her experiences and her family to to write a new play that was successful her like first successful place and she was like i don't know like 13 or whatever the, however old she was she pulled a max from the end of rushmore that's basically what she did basically should have said it in vietnam darn yeah Scott, what did you think i i mean i i agree like again uh, the character wasn't my favorite and it does just kind of you know they get together and that's kind of it i feel like she, you know she doesn't have a whole lot to do in the third act of the movie so to speak um and then we just get that final note like you said of her writing the play which i guess is supposed to signify maybe that you know in entering this relationship uh she's also discovered a creative spark which is you know going to satisfy her or uh, break her out of the funk maybe to some extent that she's been in because I think all the stuff, all the details that they're giving about everybody else is like, Oh, they're kind of slowly making progress, getting over what has ailed them for the course of the movie. I mean, Eli is going to drug rehab and, you know, uh, Chaz is just kind of eased up a little bit on protecting his kids. And, um, so, uh, you know, I, I think it's supposed to be like a positive, but it just feels a little to note about Chaz. Like, I mean, the big thing for him is that he's the one with his dad when he, when his dad dies yeah. like he's in uh-huh. the ambulance with him um 
which is obviously a, I think that's it's sort of like a, a very brief anecdote at the end of the film, but it's, it feels like this like really huge thing. So I feel like there's just like an extra step missing for Margot from like yeah the last time we see her to what they reveal in the epilogue. I feel like there's just like something missing in between there that would Classic really adopted like kid. cement the arc. Yeah. Um, at, you know, at least like it kind of did for some of the other characters. Yeah. I mean, one thing I, I do want to talk about one more thing. I said that was the last thing, but I've, we haven't like talked at all about Angelica Houston, which like feels a little bit unfair. Like we haven't talked about ethylene like at all, which probably means we should take a cursory 30 seconds to, to mention her in, in a moment. But uh, the thing about Royal, the thing that I mean, D Jay mentioned at the at the towards the beginning about the epitaph being sort of like, eh, maybe he hasn't grown that much by the end of the film. I also think it's like the whole thing with with Buckley getting hit by Eli and then him just like buying a Dalmatian off the fire truck guy. Like talk about like putting try like I feel like he like doesn't get it. Like that's like one of those things that like Boomer, you know, Boomer granddad would like be like, oh, I saw your dog died. So I bought you a new one. Like that's not really quite what the issue is in the situation. Um. It feels like a little bit out of touch. I mean, that's just maybe it's just something I thought of as to Jay's point. Maybe he's he's still out of touch. It's not like he's like all of a sudden he's this great father again. It's like what man thinks being a good father would be like or, yeah. or whatever, instead of like being emotionally present and then there for your children. Um, but that's you know, that just shows that growth only gets you so far properly when you're a character like like Royal. But all right, Ethelene, someone who we've glossed over. Maybe the argument here is that. The movie sort of also glosses over her, although she's sort of like anchored as a central character in the first act of the film. But we're all happy for her that she's finding love late in life and getting together with with Danny, Danny Glover, and and as Henry Sherman. Jay nodded. Scott looks unimpressed. Sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. It was good. They, you know, they tried to give you some background context. She had so many suitors and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, like good for you for you know finding one you really like. Yeah, but she like didn't hadn't really connected with any of them. It seems like until Henry came along. So totally feels right. Yeah. Well, there's the like hilarious line at the beginning after like Henry asks her to marry him, and she's just like, "Um, let me get back to you on that." And she's like, "Well, don't worry, I would have just said flat out no to everyone else who's asked me before you." And I'm just like, "Well, that's not really gonna make him feel any better about the thing, I don't think." But you know, it's nice that to know that you've got a maybe, a solid maybe out of that out of that question. You take your wins where you can get them in life. All right, guys, let's wrap this thing up. Jay, favorite scene or moment from the Royal Tenenbaums? You know, it might have to be I'm dying. I'm not really dying. No, I'm dying. Like, again, that, the way Ethelene kind of loses her shit at him and the way he's just kind of like, I don't know, playing off of her. It was so stupid, but like, yeah. I laughed pretty hard. Um, I really enjoyed that. Scott, what about you? So it's only like a one minute scene, but the scene oh where okay. uh, where um, Royal introduces himself to his grandkids, to Ben yeah. Stiller's kids for the first time when they're like at the at basketball the court or yeah, something, the basketball yeah. Court, yeah. Um, was phenomenal. Like everything Gene Hackman says in that scene is funny. Like your mother was a terribly attractive woman. And there's like, yeah. thank you. Uh, it's just the exchange of dialogue was just perfection in that um, scene. So it is a very funny movie. I feel like I haven't mentioned that that much. And like, that was definitely one of the funniest scenes for me. Yeah. And for me, I talked about it already, but it's, it's the scene where Pagoda leaves one in on him um, out, out in the rain after he's been kicked out of the house. I mean, the, the whole thing with Pagoda, we haven't, we've referenced him several times, but not talked about him. It's just, just the dumbest thing, right? Like, like, the fact that this that like he's this valet or whatever or valet in in this house and he's like I guess for like twenty years or whatever he's like secretly like passing information to uh to Royal and but still working for Ethelene but like also doesn't really work because he's just upstairs watching TV all the time it's very confusing um mm -hmm. very good stuff and uh, you know he's an assassin who was sent to kill him in was it Bombay I can't remember what city it was they were at and he finally stabs him. So there you go. Good stuff. All right. Out of 10, Jay, what are you giving the Royal Tenenbaums? 8.4. Very solid film. Glad I watched it. We didn't talk uh, at all about uh, the soundtrack, but it was full of bangers. I was. Uh, Jay really is the one who gets to say the soundtrack's full of bangers and not Scott. Look at that. It's the first. Yeah, it was. I we had, I mean, of course, customary Rolling Stones moment. 
Um, we had Nico's cover of These Days by Jackson Brown, which I really thought was good. Um, a couple others, and I think the Beatles were in there at one point. Hey Jude was, was the opening, which I yeah, thought right. was, was a solid opening, yeah. opening course, scene. Yeah. You had uh, me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Yeah, like just great tracks. Um, and yes, just 8.4, solid film. Feeling good about where we're at. Scott? I hadn't thought about it. Yeah, I'll go with like a 7.6. Wow, firing from the hip, a 7.6. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a solid movie. Like again, I I always I definitely will always get why people love it. Um, but for me, it's just a little bit inconsistent. Like I said up front, um, like I said in my letterbox review, I think the fact that Gene Hackman is giving like such an all timer performance is like both amazing, obviously, and a huge plus for the movie. But it can also be a disadvantage because it overshadows a lot of the other stuff in the movie, at least for me. Obviously, it's not everyone's ex- experience. Obviously, it's not you guys' experience, but 7.6. 8.9 for me. Uh, my favorite so far of the series. Big fan. The comedy here is great. Maybe we didn't talk enough about that, but it, it is just a genuinely hilarious movie for you know almost the entire time. And that should do it for our discussion of the Royal Tenenbaums and part three of the Anderson Countdown. Don't forget to check out all the regular episodes of Some Like It Scott in the very same podcast feed where you found this. You can check out our podcast Patreon as well at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Support us over there. We'd really appreciate that. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. where we love it if you rated and reviewed, subscribed, shared, all that jazz so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about Wes Anderson. We'll be back next week with part four of our Anderson countdown, where we'll be revisiting Wes Anderson's first collaboration with one of Scott's favorite directors, writers, Noah Baumbach, on The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. We hope you will join us then. But until then, for Jay Habib and Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.